Just a heads up, this series contains graphic descriptions of racist violence. By January of 2019, I'd been reporting on the base and other neo-Nazi terror groups for a while. And that month, I got a message from a source telling me that I needed to see something. He sent me a link to a website called Fascist Forge, which at the time was a pretty well-trafficked neo-Nazi forum. I went to the link. And what I saw was a picture of a man dressed in black, wearing a helmet, styled after the Nazi SS. In one hand, he had a kitchen knife, and in the other, a decapitated head. And I recognized that head. It was mine. Blood was dripping from my neck. It was sort of a photoshopped wanted poster. Below it read, our patience has its limits. Seeing this, it bothered me. Like the fact that someone had taken the time to find a picture of me and Photoshop it into this gore porn. Like I can look at it and know that it looks like a low-budget horror movie poster, but that doesn't mean that it didn't make me feel violated. The source told me the photo was being shared, and people on Fascist Forged were loving it. It was an obvious homage to this famous image of a real-life execution, one carried out by another extremist group, ISIS. In a 2014 propaganda video, a member of ISIS beheaded journalist James Foley. And for me, like a lot of journalists, that image was seared into my memory. And it seemed clear that whoever made the image was alluding to this. For a while, I'd been seeing some similarities between neo-Nazi terror groups, like the base, and ISIS. Both groups idealized the past. Both were seeking ethnic cleansing. Both touted their toxic hypermasculinity and both recruited primarily young, angry men. The image I saw that day seemed almost ripped from the ISIS playbook. The similarities were starting to feel hard to ignore. But was this intentional? And what would it mean if American extremists started styling themselves after international terror groups? Vice News and Gimlet, I'm Ben Maku, and this is American Terror. Episode 4, Agents of Propaganda. I'm in my mid-30s now. I grew up in Canada, but one of my earlier childhood memories was the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City. A massive car bomb exploded outside of a large federal building in downtown Oklahoma City. This was the first time I remember hearing the word terrorism. The enormous explosion at a federal building in Oklahoma City this morning was the work of terrorists. I was six years old. I remember I was at the home of my babysitter. She explained to me what was happening on the news, that all these kids who were around my age had been killed in this explosion. More than 500 people were already in their offices, and at least 50 children were in a daycare center on the second floor. Six years later, in 2001, when I was in middle school, September 11th happened. This, Justin, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center. I remember thinking that I was watching history. In both these terrorist acts, civilians were being killed by militant extremist movements that believed they were righteous, and it made me feel sick. Like a lot of people, my first thought was, who the hell could and would do something like this? We have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers. These two attacks 
made a mark on my childhood. Our enemy is a radical network of terrorists and every government that supports them. And so, when I became a reporter, I followed this thread and got into national security. This is a message to Canada and all the American Tawarit. As a young journalist in Canada, I got in contact with a young man from Calgary. I found him on Twitter. His name was Farah Sheerden. He went by the alias Abu Usama. We are coming and we will destroy you, ta'ala. He was Somali-Canadian, born in Toronto, but spent most of his life out west in Calgary. But then when he was a college student, he and six other men suddenly left the country to fight for ISIS. In 2014, he traveled to Syria and was later seen in this infamous propaganda video, tearing up and burning his Canadian passport. I made hijrah to this land for one reason alone. I left comfort for one reason alone, for Allah Azza wa Jal. And inshallah, after Sham, after Iraq, after Jazeera, we are going for you, Barack Obama. I texted with Sheridan for a few months. It coincided with ISIS becoming a household name. Their ranks were growing, partially with the help of foreign fighters from the US, France, Britain, and Australia. And almost overnight, ISIS exploded in size. Over the past year, the militant group has gained control of dozens of cities in northeastern Syria, and now, according to some experts, nearly half of Iraq. ISIS was at the forefront of pioneering terrorism for the digital age. They brought in production power and weaponized shock value, and the images of their attacks traveled across the internet. My stories about Sheerden caught the interest of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties, Canada's FBI. They hounded me. They wanted to know what Sheerden and I had talked about, what my sources told me. I told them no. So they took me to court to try to get access to all of my communications with Sheridan and other ISIS fighters. This is about media and our rights to be able to report stories and not be co-opted by law enforcement. I fought it for years and years. This was a huge deal for me. I treat my sources' confidentiality incredibly seriously. The Mounties never actually told me why they needed the information. And handing it over would have established a dangerous precedent. And giving up my contacts would endanger any future source's willingness to trust me and other journalists. So I fought this case all the way to Canada's Supreme Court. I think it's a complete fishing expedition. I think what they're trying to do is establish new rights. And I think that that's a serious problem and it's something that all of you and myself should be afraid of. It consumed years of my life and was demoralizing, to say the least. And I ended up losing. To be honest, it taught me not to trust these guys, you know, the feds. They hounded me for much of my adult life, so much so that for a while, I was told by my lawyers that I probably shouldn't go back to Canada. So I turned my focus to covering domestic terrorism in North America writ large. So I'm about to meet with a group that people describe them as white power, neo-Nazi, right-wing extremists, and their name is the Soldiers of Odin. There were these fringe far-right vigilantes in Canada who walked the streets of Quebec targeting people they assumed to be Muslims. Their charter says they're not racist, but they don't want refugees from countries that don't like us. They pointed to a demographic shift that many countries, like the US and Canada, are going through and wrapped this fact in a conspiracy theory called the Great Replacement Theory. I've talked about it before. 
It's actually a pretty old racist belief that originated in France and spread to the US, where far-right extremists adopted it. The idea is that nefarious forces are trying to replace white people with non-white immigrants in order to win elections and take power. Massive demographic changes have been foisted upon the American people. And they're changes that none of us ever voted for and most of us don't like. And it plays into another of their conspiracy theories. This idea of, quote, white genocide, that non-white immigration and interracial relationships are leading to the extinction of white people. As I've said, both these ideas are complete and total racist bullshit. In 2016, I was covering politics in the United States. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. The nomination and subsequent election of Donald Trump. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Who himself spouted xenophobic and racist rhetoric. His campaign had emboldened the fringes of the American right wing. Hail Trump! Hail our people! Hail victory! The white supremacists who marched with torches in Charlottesville aimed to take their racist beliefs into the mainstream of American politics. And then, as I was poking around the darker corners of the internet on far-right extremist sites like Iron March, I started to see new, violent videos being circulated people who shared the same beliefs and were clearly willing to take it even further than public protests. They promoted violence that they hoped would accelerate nothing less than the collapse of society. I started seeing video after video of young men in full military gear. They staged drills in the desert, the woods, abandoned buildings, and fired military-style weapons. The participants hid their faces behind skull masks, holding black flags with the symbol for the atomic bomb. They gathered in front of these symbols that they hate, the American, UN, and Israeli flags, the pride flag, and set them all on fire. So it is of the utmost importance that we establish ways to finance and execute this endeavor before they start using their tools at hand to put us away from what we think. This particular group called themselves the Adam Waffen Division. Which appears to be a more and more likely scenario as the tension and violence plaguing the system escalates. Adam Waffen is German for nuclear weapons. The group is formed by a guy who served in the U.S. National Guard. And their stated goal was to exterminate all non-white people from the face of the earth. To create an all-white world. And their videos are violent. And on the parts of the internet where racists gather, they pop up everywhere. And in some ways, they actually look a lot like ISIS and Al Qaeda. Adam Waffen, they were copying ISIS talking about how they want to, you know, kill the Jews and how they wanted to, uh, you know, um, create race war and uh, get rid of nine whites. This is Ali Soufan. 
He's a leading researcher in international terrorism. And then they burned the American flag and they burned the EU flag and the Israeli flag. So there are a lot of similarities that goes beyond just the facade. Sufan was one of the first people to speak about these similarities between Islamic extremism and neo-Nazi terrorism, to point out that these domestic terrorists were using something similar to ISIS's playbook to attack their own country. I am uh, a former FBI special agent. He was an FBI agent back in the 1990s. Early on, I wrote a memo about uh, this guy named Osama bin Laden. And uh, I predicted that Osama bin Laden might uh, cause lots of problems uh, down the road to the United States. And he didn't just predict it. Supan was one of the only people at the FBI at the time who spoke Arabic. So he was on the Al-Qaeda bin Laden file. We were uh, disrupting cells uh, for Al-Qaeda around the world, including Albania, in Spain, in, uh, in Italy, in um, other places. Sufan started following bin Laden's movements all the way back in 1998, after the bombings of the U.S. Embassy in Kenya. Just who could organize an attack as sophisticated as today's? Certainly this man, Osama bin Laden, the head of an international terror network. Saudi-born, worth hundreds of millions of dollars, dedicated to attacking the United States. And, uh, you know, the war, our war, our small little war at the time against al-Qaeda continued until uh, the bombing in Yemen on October 12 of 2000. And then when the group bombed the warship USS Cole in 2000. A U.S. Navy destroyer was attacked today in Yemen by an apparent suicide bomber. At least five American sailors were killed, 12 were missing. Sufan interviewed witnesses and interrogated al-Qaeda members. He says he tried to warn intelligence agencies in the U.S. and to share the information he was gathering with them. And he asked people at the FBI and CIA for information about several members of al-Qaeda he was tracking. Unfortunately, the information uh, was not shared. Sufan doesn't say why, but it was well known at the time that the FBI and CIA were competing to stop terror suspects and withholding intel from one another. And then, the day after September 11th. On September 12th, um, I was handed uh, a medalla envelope that included answers to all the questions that I've been asking for. Some of the people that I was looking for were on planes, you know, that uh, hit buildings, both in the Pentagon and in, in New York. Obviously, it was way too late. Those attacks on 9-11, they were committed by a small cell of terrorists Motivated, organized, angry. And so when Sufan started to notice far-right extremist groups like Adam Waffen, to him, there were a lot of similarities, like how they were organized. And in order to accelerate the collapse of the U.S. government and the collapse of the U.S. society, their strategy is based on what they call leaderless resistance. The strategy of cells and so-called leaderless resistance. The idea is that rather than functioning as a larger, cohesive group with clear command structures, they operate more as a decentralized movement of smaller cells. The idea being that this makes the group impenetrable and hopefully protects them from spies. Uh, basically establish small cells or advocate lone wolves to conduct an attack that will force uh, the government to collapse. It made them very hard to track. Their goal is to create a white ethno state. And Adam Waffen stood out. They didn't pretend to be a patriotic militia. 
Their vision of a violent, racist revolution was front and center. Adam Waffen resurrected the writings of James Mason, the author of the neo-Nazi manual, Siege. They used his book as a blueprint for how to bring on the collapse of society. What should happen following the turn of the 21st century, but then more young people should bring forth the Adam Waffen division. They didn't only operate in the US. Allegedly, Adam Waffen had a small cell in Germany, and there were allied cells in Australia and the UK. They were spreading internationally. They started to travel and connect with other like-minded people in Europe. They are in Germany, they are in Russia, they are in many Baltic states, uh, they are in uh, Eastern Ukraine. A very similar way to how, you know, Al-Qaeda and ISIS uh, utilized, um, you know, social media and uh, utilized the online space in order to expand their network. The group organized mostly online. Periodically, they would meet up in person to put up flyers, film propaganda videos, and train with firearms. And then, just as they'd threatened, they start to act. That's after the break. They call themselves the Atomwaffen Division, German for atomic weapons. Within the span of a few months, the neo-Nazi terror group Atomwaffen Division had taken their desire for violence and the downfall of society offline and into the real world. Whose members are tied to five murders in other states. Between 2017 and 2018, members were linked to five murders throughout the U.S. We turn next here to a disturbing new report at this hour about the suspect in the murder of college student Blaze Bernstein found stabbed to death. Including one in Orange County, California. A former classmate from high school, Samuel Woodward, arrested for his murder. Where a 20-year-old man, Sam Woodward, was arrested for the murder of a 19-year-old college student named Blaze Bernstein. This is a picture of him as a baby. That's him, not even a year. He was probably about six months old there, six to nine months old. He was walking at nine months old. This is Jean Bernstein, Blaze's mother. This is our Iceland trip. This is the last trip we took together. This is Glacier Bay. And when was that? This was in 2017, 2017. summer of 2017. She's showing me photos of her son. Bernstein's a cute kid with bright eyes, dimples, he looks really young. What was he like as a kid? Um, he was silly, very curious, didn't sleep a lot. Like, he had endless energy. He would be up at, even on the weekends at 6 a.m. It was like, seriously, this is a weekend. Can we just sleep in one day? I went to Orange County to interview her back in 2020, two years after her son was murdered. Had you ever heard of something called the Adam Waffen Division before this? Before this, no. I wish I had. I wish I knew. Bernstein and Woodward had actually gone to high school together. They weren't friends, but they knew each other. Bernstein went off to college on the East Coast. Woodward floated around in California. But eventually, he began posting under the name Saboteur on a popular meme site. He became connected with a guy via Skype who went by the name Cruz. K-R-U-U-Z. And Cruz found Adam Waffen through Twitter. Cruz, quote, siege-pilled Woodward, pushing him to read James Mason's terror manual. And eventually, through Cruz, 
Woodward joined up with Adam Waffen. Woodward became involved with the California cell of Adam Waffen and traveled to Texas to visit Cruz. While there, Woodward trained with the Texas cell and visited James Mason in Colorado before returning to California. Woodward was a member of a fascist group. Their Nazi propaganda posted online, traveling to Texas for military-style training. In group chats, Woodward was considered an expert on fascism. He was obsessed with siege, and he'd been trusted to vet new recruits, ensuring they were radicalized enough for membership. Sheriff's investigators found anti-gay and Nazi materials on Woodward's cell phone and in his emails. Woodward had started going on dating apps, looking for gay men to target. In parts of Woodward's diary, read at a preliminary trial hearing, he wrote that he would use dating apps to troll gay men into thinking he was bisexual. He'd talk with them for a while before hurling slurs and immediately unmatching. And then one night, Bernstein, who was openly gay and Jewish, was home on break from college. He went on Tinder and matched with Woodward. And this time, Woodward took things in a totally different direction. Instead of insulting Bernstein, he chatted with him for a bit and then agreed to meet up with him at a local park. There, Woodward allegedly stabbed Bernstein 19 times in the face and neck and buried him in a shallow grave off a park trail. And I, I knew, I think, when I fell asleep that night that my son was probably never coming home again. It took authorities eight days to find his body. Hundreds of people gathered at a synagogue today in Irvine to pay their respects to the college student that was killed over winter break. More than a week after Bernstein's murder, police arrested Woodward. They found a knife with Bernstein's blood on it inside his room. Woodward told police that he'd hung out with Bernstein at a park, the same park where Bernstein's body was found. After Woodward was arrested, members of Adam Waffen celebrated. They called him a one-man gay Jew wrecking crew. Woodward was charged with Bernstein's murder. He pleaded not guilty. And then all the details about Woodward's past and ideology started coming out. His membership in Adamwaffen, the fact that months earlier he had attended a hate camp in Texas, where he trained with weapons and posed in propaganda pictures, wearing a skull mask and giving a Nazi salute. Woodward is still awaiting trial. If convicted, he will likely spend the rest of his life in prison. And Bernstein's murder wasn't a singular case. By 2018, Adam Waffen members were linked to several stateside murders and a list of terrorism-related crimes. Adam Waffen's members were showing that they were capable of committing the violence they fantasized about. Speaking as someone who uh, lost a son to a member of one of these groups, or allegedly lost a son, to a member of one of these groups. Mm -hmm. Do you think authorities and the government are doing enough to go after them? No, I absolutely do not think they are. We just don't have the resources in this country to go after all of this because this is on the internet. But Gene Bernstein feels like this threat, it's not being taken seriously. What would you say to people who think, you know, Adam Waffen Division, it's only 50 guys, they don't need to be taken too seriously. They're not Al-Qaeda, they're not ISIS. What would be your response? Um, okay, they're not Al-Qaeda and ISIS? Well, Al-Qaeda and ISIS started somewhere. They were only 40 or 50 people at one time too. 
And wait a minute, they brought down a building in the United States, two buildings, and over 5,000 people died because of it. That's the point of a decentralized movement. It doesn't take that many people to commit mass acts of violence, just a few. The other thing is, ISIS and Atomwaffen are both highly digital movements. They're good at branding, and they make slick videos that inspire others to either join up or mimic their violence. And they're very hard to track. In 2020, the State Department discussed whether or not to list Atomwaffen, a neo-Nazi terrorist group, as a foreign terrorist organization. Our current framework allows for the designation of transnational groups as foreign terrorist entities. Ali Soufan testified in front of Congress about the threat of these groups. Listing an organization like Adam Waffen as a terrorist group would give the federal government the power to charge anyone who provided financial or material support with a crime. This would have been the first time a group based inside the U.S. would have been designated a terrorist organization. We need to recognize the international nature of this threat and start treating white supremacist terrorists the way we treat other global terrorists. Only then can we give our law enforcement the tool they need to meet the challenge. But then, suddenly, in 2020, Adam Waffen appears to disband. After the FBI and law enforcement busted several Adam Waffen members on gun crimes and for threatening journalists, these organizations, they change their names, they do these kind of things in order to go around the actions of the government. It looked like the threat of a foreign terrorist designation had scared them into hiding for a while. But I knew they wouldn't just disappear. Only a few months after Adam Waffen disbanded, I saw that a new group was organizing, the National Socialist Order. One of their leaders messaged me. What is the National Socialist Order? A political and paramilitary group, you might say, and our goal currently is to spread revolutionary conditions throughout the United States wherever possible. And at the end of the line, once those revolutionary conditions have been spread, take advantage of them. I already knew this guy online because, surprise, surprise, he'd also been a leader of Atomwaffen. I met up with him in this giant open field with grain and blue skies as far as the eye can see. He was wearing aviator shades and a trademark black and white skull mask. It completely covered his whole face. He asked us not to use his name and alter his voice because of the threat of prosecution. And when you say taking advantage, what does that mean? Uh, I mean, it just it means any opportunity we see, we're gonna jump on. You know, whether it be uh, political chaos, whether it be racial chaos, whether it's a mixture of different things, a war, whatever. Whatever we see, whatever we can take advantage of, we're gonna be. We're going to be fully prepared and ready to do whatever it takes. And remember, this isn't just a political movement. They see themselves as an army, a pseudo-insurgency. These are the same guys who are filming propaganda videos and running military drills with firearms. Do you want the white ethnostate? Uh, yeah. yeah, we do certainly. But we personally feel that a white ethnostate, while maybe a good middle ground, is not going far enough. So what's, what's going further then? Well, it's total Aryan victory, the only Aryans in the entire planet. I interviewed this guy back in 2020, so the beginning of the pandemic, after the murder of George Floyd led to waves and waves of protests throughout the country. Right now, there's a lot of social unrest. 
there's a pandemic, there's rampant unemployment, and you're choosing to refound and create this group now. Is it designed at this political moment? It's certainly an opportunity that we'd love to take advantage of. I mean, people have never been more more disillusioned of politics. People have never been more disillusioned of politicians, of social institutions, of religious institutions. I think this is a perfect opportunity for us. By 2021, the government arrested close to 20 members of Adam Waffen. But several of these guys, they're still out there. But despite everything we know about these groups, actually proving that they're organizing and creating a larger network, not just talking about it, that takes evidence. And to do so, someone needs to be watching closely, like the FBI. He really started to gear it towards violence. The provocative nature of the social media videos, the postings, the flyers, increased. There was less concern about being doxxed. This was more of a not if, but when. When an attack would happen is what this group started to become. And so that's where we go to look at how these groups plan attacks and what it means to stop one from happening. That's next time on American Terror. American Terror is a Spotify original podcast from Vice Audio and Gimlet Media. It's reported by me, Ben Maku, as well as Mac Lamara, Ashley Cleek, Sam Egan, Sophie Kazis, and Zachary Kamel. It's produced by Sam Egan and Sophie Kazis, and executive produced by Ashley Cleek, and by Colin Campbell and Nicole Beamsterboer from Gimlet. Sound design and original music composition by Pran Bandy. Editing by Kate Osborne from Vice Audio and Brendan Klinkenberg from Gimlet. Janet Lee is the Senior Production Manager at Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Maximo Anderson and Nicole Pasulka. Joshua Fisher-Birch was our expert consultant. Special thanks to Katie Sheward, Miguel Fernandez-Flores, Anna Sebeskin, Mac Lamoureux, Tim Marchman, Josh Visser, Kisa White, and The Infiltrator for risking his life to bring this story to the public. Thanks to Jonathan Crone for his reporting on the murder of Blaze Bernstein for Mother Jones. I'm Ben Maku.